0: There was a man who had a little boy that he loved very much. And this man was a pastor of a local church. And every day he'd come home and he'd play with his son. And one night while the man was at the church, he realized that he had extra, do, uh, extra work to do for next Sunday morning sermon. And that he wouldn't be able to play with his son that day. But he wanted to be able to give his son something to keep him busy So looking around his office, he saw a missions magazine with a large map of the world on the cover. He got an idea. He removed the map and then patiently tore it up into small pieces. And then he put the pieces in his coat pocket. Uh, When he got home, his son came running and yelled, Daddy, Daddy, I'm ready to play. And the man explained that he had some extra work to do and just couldn't play at that moment. But he led his son into the dining room And taking out all the pieces of the map, he spread them on the table. He explained that it was a map of the world. And that by the time that he could put it back together, his extra work would be finished. And that they could both play. And surely this would keep the child busy for hours, he thought. About a half hour later, the boy came to the man into his office and said, Okay, Daddy, it's finished. Can we play now? And the man was shocked. That's impossible. Let's go see. And sure enough, there was the picture of the world, all put together with scotch tape, every piece in its place. The man said, that's amazing. How did you do that? And the boy said, oh, that was simple, Daddy. On the back page was a picture of Jesus. And when I put Jesus together, the whole world fell into place. (laughs) And that's how it is. With the holy Catholic, and I say Catholic with a small c, church, as we worship together as the family of Hill City, we are a piece of that whole. We should always keep in mind, uh, we should always keep that in mind. And if I ask many of you, how many churches are there in Rock Hill? You might say a couple hundred. But biblically speaking, the truth is, there's only one church in Rock Hill, and the world for that matter. Oh, there's many expressions of the Church of Jesus Christ, but here there was only one church. That is the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, the word Catholic, which a lot of people like to major on the minors in this area, and, and that's okay. I'll just let them fight over it. This was not the most uh, comfortable sermon for me to prepare because, for obvious reasons, but. The word Catholic was first used in the early 2nd century when Ignatius of Antioch, an early church father, declared where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church as well as its Lord. Now, Protestant believers in the tradition of the Reformation understand the church to be the body of Christ extended throughout time as well as space. The whole company of God's redeemed people through the ages. Now we as Protestants, of course, do not equate Catholic with Roman Catholic. There are some there are some differences in in, in practice and theology, which I, I won't get into. But some like to avoid the phrase Catholic and instead prefer to say Holy Christian Church. And while there's nothing wrong with this term, we should we should not be embarrassed by the older rendering. The word Catholic small c means general or universal, concerning the holistic body of Christ. Jesus prayed that his disciples would be one, hence the passage that I've I've chosen for this morning, even as he and the Father are one, so that the world might believe that Jesus Christ has been sent to the world to save the world. Now, what are we confessing to when we say uh, that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church? We're confessing that Jesus Christ himself is the church's one foundation. There is no uh, plan B. There's only plan A. That he is the foundation. That all who truly trust in him as Savior and Lord are by God's grace members of that church. And that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It says in Colossians 1.18, And he is the head of the body, the church. Uh, or the Ecclesia in the Greek, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. The word body there in the Greek is the word soma. It's used in many places as a figurative word that we who are in Christ are an extension of Jesus himself. Think about that for a moment. Not only are you with Jesus, you're also an extension of himself. What a wild thought. So what does it mean to be a Catholic church, small c? It really means to be a unified church. I mean, how boring would the world be if there was only one flavor of ice cream? But no, what makes ice cream great are the many flavors that you can choose from. And so we see in the body of Christ, the one church, that there are many expressions that meet many needs for a world that is very complex. What does it mean to be unified? What does it look like? Well, there's many places in the scriptures, and this is one of those sermons where it's not, you don't have too little information. Like when Buzzy preached on, he descended into hell. This one is like drinking from a fire hose. There's so many scriptures on unity, but I can't think of a better scripture on unity than this passage itself, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Here he is about ready to face the most pivotal point in human history, the most unimaginable suffering, and yet he is praying for the unity of his body. Isn't that amazing? And what I find interesting here is that he wants us to be one. We have never been more divided as a church in America because we have divided ourselves over the wrong things rather than uniting ourselves in the right things, especially during this election season. And I think it breaks God's heart. I think it breaks his heart. Because imagine what the church could be like if we were together. So in this chapter, people like to say that Matthew 6, where Jesus gives us a model prayer, is the Lord's Prayer. But really, this is the Lord's Prayer. This is the greatest prayer that has ever been prayed. For sure. Look at with me in verse 6 through 8. Jesus said, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word and now they know that everything that you've given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know that in truth that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. The word manifested here in verse six means to shine forth. When Jesus said, I have manifested your name, he wasn't saying I've preached about it verbally. He wasn't saying I have uh, uh I, I, I ha- excuse me he's saying I have lived it out observably and Jesus here says that God elected us out of the world we belong to him we are his and he tells his disciples that they have kept or put their faith in the message and the witness that Jesus has brought them Now, the disciples weren't perfect, but, you know, they got this part right. And this is an important distinction. And Jesus here doesn't start this section of prayer with what we must do or how we must behave. He just simply declares to the Father that they belong to him now in the hearing of this prayer. Don't you wish you could have been there to hear Jesus pray out loud? And aren't you glad the Holy Spirit wrote down for us this prayer? You see, you and I need to hear and believe this. This is so critical to being a unified, small-c Catholic church. Some of you here have followed Jesus for a while, and some of you feel lost. You feel you don't understand and know who you really are. And so you join this cause, or you hang out with this crowd, or you decide to become a, a completely different person. You build an image or an identity for yourself. But if you build an identity for yourself, it means that you also have to maintain that identity for yourself. You know what that means? It means you're, you're going to be in a constant position to justify yourself. And you have to justify your existence to others. And you are constantly trying to find worth and acceptance in other people to have value. And therefore, you become absolutely exhausted because you are in charge of who you are. My old pastor, Mike McIntosh, said something years ago. I never forgot it. He said, If you strive to gain, you have to strive. To maintain. But the gospel here in this verse says it's not who you are. It's whose you are. Jesus prayer for you here is not build yourself up like the world tells you. Rather, it's rest. And belonging to your father. Put away this striving. Put away this maintaining. Stop. Let go. You belong to God, which is the greatest identity you could ever have. And guess what? If he is in charge of who you are, and it's his responsibility to build you up, that frees you from having to do all of that. If you seek more for yourself outside of Jesus, then you are actually seeking less than Jesus. Now, you may be saying, I don't know what to do to belong. Jesus invites you to belong, and then you'll know what to do. A truly unified church, a truly Catholic church, starts with belonging to God. It always starts with him. Lord, how do I stop my addiction on social media? Belong to me, and I'll validate and satisfy you. Uh, You'll no longer need to check your likes for satisfaction. How do I stop looking at pornography? Belong to me and I'll justify you so that you won't seek to be justified by a fantasy on the screen. How do I stop emotional eating? Belong to me and I'll feed you of my spirit. And you'll no longer need to stuff your face to feel like you have any value. If we're to be unified, we must first belong to Jesus. It starts there verse 9 and 10. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. So Jesus here prays a prayer for the 11, but also for those who will come to faith later. He says he's not praying for the world, but for those whom God has created and elected in the future. Excuse me. Now, why did Jesus say he's not praying for the world? What does that mean? What does he mean by world? The world Jesus is talking about here is neither the planet nor the people, but the system. Consequently, he's praying not to transform the system. He's not to politically organize to change the system, but rather he's praying for those whom the father has called out of the world's system. Now why is this important? I think we get so caught up in the here and the now, wanting to reform things, change things. We're so focused on our stuff that we forget about God and his kingdom. Now now don't misunderstand me. Reform is a good thing. Changing things is a good thing. But not when it becomes the main focus. There's nothing wrong with all of that, but when it d- begins to distract us from kingdom living and kingdom work, then it's a problem. Colossians 3.1 puts it this way. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew thirteen seven in the kingdom parables when he was talking about the sower and the seed. He said, other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them, which he later interpreted to mean the cares of this world choke out the gospel, the word of God. One morning, a farmer told his wife that he was going out to pluck ripened fruits from his field. He got off uh, Cameron Bunzel like this story. Uh, he got off to an early start so he could, uh, could, could he could warm up the truck, had to warm up the truck. He needed more gas, so he went to the store to get it. And on the way to the store, he noticed that the pigs weren't fed. So he proceeded to the corn crib where he found some sacks of feed. And beside the sacks uh, were potatoes that were sprouting. And then when he started for the potato pit, he passed the wood pile and remembered that his wife wanted wood in the house. As he picked up a few sticks, an ailing chicken passed by. So he dropped the wood and picked up the chicken. When noon arrived, the frustrated farmer had not even gotten to the truck, let alone to the field. And by now it's very hot and some ripened fruits have already dropped. And that's how it is. We take our eye and focus off the Lord and his kingdom and we busy ourselves with things that don't really matter. In the end... It's about encouraging and loving one another in Christ and bringing a changeless gospel to a changing world. Folks, what is Jesus' priority? It's people. He loves people. And if we don't love people and serve people, then we're not living for the kingdom of God. So what if the lawn doesn't get mowed for one more day? So what if the laundry is piled up for one more day? If it means that the Lord is going to interrupt your schedule to put somebody in your life that really needs him, isn't it worth it? I remember when we first came here 18 years ago. Moved here almost 20 years ago. Um, I started a home fellowship through my dad's church. And it was, it was going pretty well. Um, And then uh, my dad pulled me aside and I'll never forget these words. He said, son, I just don't know if this is going to work out. And I said, why? He said, because you don't love people. Man, that just broke me. I mean, I cried. He was right. And so every day I try to pray, Lord, give me your heart for your people. And so we have to have a heart for people. And Jesus says here, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is praying for you constantly. It says in John 2 that He is your advocate. That Jesus is, is interceding on your behalf right now in heaven. What a comforting thought to know that Jesus' priority is you and me. So Jesus is praying that we are preserved and protected from the world and from our adversary. The Holy Christian Church or the Holy Catholic Church around the world for his purposes. Verse 11. He says, and I'm no longer of the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as you and I are one. Do you see that? Jesus prays that he goes to the father that we are kept and protected by his prayer and that we are one the same way that Jesus and the father are one and in perfect harmony. The only arguing I ever see the Trinity doing in scripture is no, you get the glory. No, you get the glory. No, you get the glory. It's just this constant exchange of love and worth and purpose. They're in perfect harmony, perfect symmetry. Perfect unity. And if Jesus prays this kind of prayer for unity, then shouldn't we strive to be unified with each other? Intending to raise cattle, there was a family in New York that bought a ranch out west. And when their friends visited and inquired about the ranch's name, the would-be rancher replied, well, I wanted to name it Bar J. My wife favored Susie Q., One of our sons wanted the Flying W. The other liked the Lazy Y. So we're calling it Bar J Susie Q Flying W Lazy Y. So the man replied, Well, then where are all your cattle? And he said, Well, none survived the branding. (laughs) And that's what happens when we're not unified. Over the right things, over the things of the gospel, over the things of the kingdom of Christ and his love for us. We begin to eat our own, don't we? We begin to lash out on social media. Hey, I'm just as guilty as anybody in this room. And, and you, know, you know what sharks do when one of them is wounded? There's a school of sharks and one of them is wounded. All the others jump on that wounded one and they just tear it to shreds. And we as the church do the same thing sometimes, a lot of the times. Did you know that the church in Iran and China are praying that persecution comes to America for the church so that they can experience unity and love like they're experiencing right now under the face of what they're going through? Those churches are so strong and so vibrant, and I feel as though we might be weak. It's put this way in in the book of James. He says, what causes fights and what causes arguments among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and argue. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James chapter 4 verses one through four. Verse 12, while I was with them Jesus says, "I kept them in your name, which you've given me, I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the Son of destruction that would be Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 13, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. And I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So while Jesus was in his ministry, he declares to the Father that the apostles were under his care, under his name, the whole time during his ministry. Jesus was and is faithful. That is, under, he was under the Father's power and authority to carry out the mission which he was sent. Judas was lost because the Scriptures declared he wasn't really a follower of, of Christ. He wasn't a lover of God. He, he was in it for himself in the money bags. And Jesus says he's going to the Father after his death and the resurrection are complete. Now, there's two distinctions here that I'd like to point out. One is Jesus is faithful to keep us. And you know, many times I burden myself with how I might keep myself in the presence of God. It's good to examine ourselves. But to do it in our flesh is not good. And there's some truth to that in terms of remaining in his love, like he tells us in John 13, through obedience. But in the end, it's Jesus who keeps us. It's Jesus who keeps us. Did you hear that? It's not how well you hold on to him. It's how well he holds on to you. And this is liberating. Because no matter how hard I try, I can never screw up his plan for my life. Whenever I fret or worry, my wife always tells me, oh, you're not not that brilliant. Don't give yourself so much credit. You, You really believe that you can screw up God's plan. And it's so good. I'm so glad she tells me this. By the way, today is her birthday. I love you, honey. I thank God that he made you. See, he is the one who guides me by his sovereign hand. And the world, number two, the world hates us because the word that was given to us. Jesus' intercession for the disciples continued with the reminder of their value and their coming danger. They were valuable because they had received the word of God. He says, I've given them your word they were in danger because the satanic world system hated it as it hates us it hates us because we're not a part of the system we are not in the matrix and as we share Jesus everything in the world the cravings of sinful man the lust of his eyes the boasting of what he does it loses its luster And our commitment to Jesus exposes the world of the garbage that's really in it. And therefore, the world hates the exposure of its sham values. And if you shine a light on cockroaches, guess what happens? They scurry and flee, don't they? Now we as believers have the light, and our very, very presence exposes the world's darkness. And the world hates the church because we are no longer of this world. We are of another world. A scuba diver breathes air that he has brought with him into an environment that he cannot survive on his own. The diver has to bring his environment into the hostile environment in order to be effective in swimming under the water. So it is with Christ's church in the world, we are in a hostile environment and never forget that this, listen, this, listen, this is not our home. And nor should we try to make it be. We take the presence of God with us via the Holy Spirit into this hospital place in order to be effective. A distinction of the Catholic Church, small c, is that we are never comfortable in this place because we are destined for another place. And I believe we as Christians have the problems we have because we spend too much time trying to make this hostile environment our home. It'd be like a diver trying to make his, the ocean floor his home. He just can't do it. I mean, he could, but it would cost a lot of money and a lot of resources. In verse 15, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus says, I've sent them. And Jesus not only kept those entrusted to him, but he sent them out. He made opportunities for them. Now, earlier in this same passage, he said they're not of the world, but yet he sends them into the world. And now, Christian, listen carefully. We are not of the world, but we must be in the world. The mistake of the monastery movement lies in isolation from the world. You can't get away. You can get away, but don't stay away. Jesus ripped into that wrong understanding when he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. You can't walk on the other side of the street to avoid the stench and infection of the world. The answer lies not in isolation, but in incarnation. For just as God became a man and yet retained his deity, so we are a people who, although we live among humanity, are linked to eternity. We're here in the flesh, but we are really living in the heavenlies. And that's where our hope and our destiny and our source of strength lie. And Jesus prays not for us to be removed from the world, but preserved in the midst of its conflict and protected from the evil one. Ladies and gentlemen, family, we're not in bubbles. We're not to we're not to surround ourselves in bubbles. There was a movement in the 80s that created this whole Christian subculture, Christian bands, Christian crackers, Christian candy. It was like it drove me crazy. There's no such thing as a Christian cracker. Unless you call up Benny Hinn. Oh, did I just say that? Sorry. Still salty about that. I'll tell you about it later. Anyway. Jesus prays for us not to be removed from the world, but to be in the world. We must be careful, though, not to embrace culture's morality, Over what this book says. Let me make that clear. We are not to embrace the culture's morality over what this holy word says. I cannot state that emphatically enough. And without this word, we are doomed. We are doomed. We are to be sanctified in the word of God. In truth, Jesus says, and as Jesus was sent into the world, so are we. And whether you realize it or not, listen, you're a missionary. Did you know that? You may say, well, I'm not in Africa eating bugs. No, you're a missionary because Jesus sent you out as a missionary as part of the Holy Catholic Church. You're a missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means that you and I have a personal responsibility to those around us to show the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus for the flourishing of our community. My son, Caden, bought these brand new white sneakers. I mean, these things look like Dwayne the Rock Johnson's teeth. They were so white. We went to dinner somewhere a while back, and I don't remember what exactly happened but I accidentally stepped on his foot and it created this smudge mark on his shoe he looked at me and I thought my 17 year old son was going to squash me like a bug (laughs) you would think that I had just committed the most unforgivable sin so I watched him take a wet paper towel and do this deep industrial clean on that smudge mark until the shoe was white again You see, here's the thing. Those shoes to him were holy. Those shoes were there. Those shoes had halos around them. They were so holy. And he wanted nothing uh, to taint that at all. And so what would it look like if we treated our faith the same way? If We walked in holiness and truth. You see, we're called to holiness and sanctification like Jesus says. What if we walked in such a way that we avoided as many smudges of sin as possible and we walked in for it? Listen, holiness has taken on a bad word. It can mean something in our culture that, that is just negative. But listen, holiness is happiness. Holiness is joy. The two are inextricably connected. And so to finish up, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. Now, keep in mind that after talking about truth in verse 14, Jesus praises people might be one here in verse 21. Ephesians 4.15 says that we are to speak the truth in love because love without truth is hypocrisy. While truth without love is brutality. And you see, if I speak the truth without love, it's like fire without warmth. Who wants to be in a room on a cold night with light but no warmth? If I speak love without truth, it's like a blaze without light. It's out of control. And who wants to be in the dark? The idea is to have light and warmth. Not always easy, but absolutely necessary. There was a powerful evangelist by the name of George Whitefield that 30,000 people would regularly attend his open-air meetings. This was back during the Great Awakening times. So anointed and eloquent was George Whitefield that uh, history records that many orators and actors would come just to watch him speak. Now, a Charles Wesley, who was a contemporary... Of Whitfield's was also preaching to many, many people. So diverse were the views of these two men on certain doctrines that they took out advertisements in newspapers explaining why they believed what they did and why the other was wrong. <laughs> and people thought these men hated each other until one reporter asked Whitfield, Tell me, Mr. Whitfield, do you expect to see Charles Wesley in heaven? To which Whitfield responds, He's going to be so close to the throne and I'm going to be so far back. I'll never see him. And that was the attitude, unity and diversity. We must be diverse and unified at the same time. Jesus here in the last section is focusing our attention on the future. He begins to pray for us who live today. For the whole church, the whole Catholic church throughout all the ages. He's already prayed about security and sanctity. And now the burden of his prayer is unity. He's concerned that his people experience a spiritual unity that is like the oneness of the father and the son. And this is his heart, his desire for us. His desire. I hate it when my children fight. It sows discord and it steals peace in the home. Now, family, we may belong to different fellowships, but we all belong to one Lord, and we belong to each other. The disciples had often displayed spirits of selfishness, competition, disunity, and this must have broken Jesus' heart. And I wonder how he feels when he sees the condition of our of the church today, especially in America. And does that break our hearts as well? The Puritan preacher Thomas Brooks wrote, Discord and division become no Christian. For wolves to worry the lambs is no wonder. But for one lamb to worry another, that is unnatural and monstrous. We have to ask ourselves, what is the basis for true unity? True Catholic. The person and work of Jesus Christ and his glory. He's already given his glory to us. And he promises that we will further experience that glory when we get to heaven. All us as believers have God's glory within, no matter what we may look like on the outside. But harmony with each other is not based on the externals of our flesh or what political cause we choose to take up. But it's about the internals and the eternals of the spirit. It's about the inner person of what God has transformed within us through the gospel of Jesus. We have to look past the elements of our first birth. Our race, our color, our abilities, our social class and build our fellowship on the essentials of the new birth. We already possess the glory within and one day we shall behold his glory in heaven as we grow in the Lord the glory within begins to grow and to reveal itself in a way and to the way that we say and do it. Christians, we're like sponges. You never know what's in us until we're squeezed. See, people do not see us and glorify us. They see the Lord and they glorify him. And one of the things that most impresses the world, in closing, is the way we love each other. And the way we live in harmony together. It is this witness that our Lord wants in the world. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me, John 17, 21. Think what would happen if we loved each other first. If we considered others better than ourselves. What would that look like? I'll tell you what it would look like. The problems that we've created would just take care of themselves. The lost world will see God. And what they see in us is what they will believe about God. If they see love and unity, they'll believe that God is love. If they see hatred and division, they'll reject the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, the cry of my heart this morning is that we would become more unified. Lord, you see our deficiencies and our weaknesses. You see where we've gone awry. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will fill us with such love for one another. As the scripture says, abide in these three things, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And there's a reason why you tell us By inspiration of the spirit that the greatest of these is love. Because when we have your love. We're able to speak truth effectively. So father change our hearts starting with me. Starting with my selfishness. Starting with my propensity. To be divided with others. And Lord do a work through your spirit in us.